1: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, we have a lot of questions today, and we're going to be getting through them, uh, hopefully all of them today. Uh, thank, uh, thank you to everybody who sent in questions. Again, uh, if you have questions for the podcast, you can send them in at podcast.blizzardwatch.com or any of our number of uh, channels on our Discord server, which we do check frequently for information. As a matter of fact, three of these questions came from uh, one person through those channels. So we'll get started. Uh, first question. This one is from Tetsemi. Is the description specific to Nathanos, I'm sorry, on page 122 of Shadows Rising, there's a description of Nathanos. uh, He often wore a subtle cologne to ward off the scent of being neither living nor dead. Uh, Many found the complete absence of scent unnerving. Sierra has only just grown accustomed to it herself. Is this description specific to Nathanos due to how he was upgraded, rebuilt by Sylvanas? Or might this also apply to Kalia and or the Dark Rangers with how they were returned to life? Uh, Complete aside, I love the Nathanos Bamsamdi scene about this. So good. So, I don't know. I I remember distinctly that many of the Forsaken have a distinct rotting scent, don't they?
0: Yeah, but he isn't rotting. Um, He's sort of, like, because they sacrificed his living relative and used that as part of the ritual, he's kind of, like, fixed in a way that the other undead aren't. Um, Although I don't know if this my problem is that I don't know by the wording of that if it's the special cologne that renders him scentless. I don't know if it's the stuff he uses that means that he doesn't smell like anything or if it's just natural mm. like why would he use a subtle cologne to if he just doesn't smell like anything, there's no point to using a subtle cologne. I mean you don't smell like anything no one would smell you I think that's and, and,
1: the that's the problem though, right like that's the problem that he's describing in the book is that not he, he smelling said, like anything unnerves people.
0: Except that it doesn't really it's not gonna unnerve the dead. Who's it gonna you know? He doesn't care about anybody it would unnerve.
1: No, but if Cersei's purpose potentially okay. to make sure that his interactions with any assets that he might be using are beneficial. Not unnerved by him? No, that's not him. Nathanos.
0: That's not Nathanos, man. Nathanos does not care if he unnerves you. In fact he positively likes it. I I don't I don't know. I I it's it's a really interesting thing to think about. I don't have an answer for it, but I have a very hard time imagining Nathanos worrying that he didn't smell good. Mm. It just it does not jibe with his personality in every time I've had a, a run-in with him. This is a guy who positively relishes making you feel bad. You know, and uh, it's not like he needs... it. Even when he's working for Sylvanas directly in the book, I, I, I just don't really see him as particularly caring if the trolls that he's working with find his lack of smell offensive. Plus, I'm just going to say this. I have never in my life noticed that something didn't smell like anything. It's just not you notice when things smell a certain way. You don't notice when things are scentless unless you're spending an awful lot of time around them and trying to smell them. I just it, it doesn't work for me. I don't know. See, I do not have an answer to this question, is what I'm going to say.
1: (laughs) I I think there's more to it, though. I think that it's not necessarily that he cares, but it's whether or not it it suits his purpose, right? And as far as the other side of that with, you know, you don't notice when something doesn't smell. I mean, think about it. When you expect something to smell or be a certain way and it doesn't, that sort of is off-putting. It's like looking at a pile of garbage and it doesn't smell like garbage.
0: I I don't honestly, dude, I have lived... We had a compost heap, like straight up. I've spent my life grown. I grew up around times when things were supposed to reek, and if they didn't reek, it didn't put me off. I'm sorry. It just you can tell me that that's how it works, but I don't agree, and I don't believe you. You don't.
1: You don't have to agree with it. It's just it's, the average person. If something isn't as they expect or doesn't meet their expectations. I feel that they get a little weirded out by it. And I can understand that if he's trying to I mean like Let me ask you this question. When the last okay. time
0: you went to a public toilet?
1: Uh yeah, last week,
0: unfortunately. Did it smell bad? Yes. Had it not smelled bad, do you think you would have been upset?
1: No, but it wouldn't have been what I would expect that I would have made note of it. It would have been something like, Oh, this doesn't smell awful like I expected so to n-
0: noticing something is not the same as being put off by it. Sure. I just, fair. I just, this is this is an idea that I'm just not getting into. I'm sorry, it, but that's one of the reasons why I'm wondering of what they mean by it. What do you mean he doesn't smell like anything? Well, and that's like, I, I, th- and there's, and if he doesn't smell like anything and he's using subtle colognes to hide that up, what does that mean? It, it feels like a sentence that has set up more of an idea than it's actually told me anything it's actually telling me less than anything now i want to know what they're talking about so yeah but again i don't know i i don't know and it's one of those this is a question that's really got me going what uh,
1: but i think it it raises an interesting point because like we said with regular forsaken have that scent of decay uh it's a question of what does that mean for him or any of the others that were Reconstructed in a completely different way. It also does make curious, uh, question about Kelia and the nature of her resurrection and if she falls into that same category of ne- necessarily smelling like anything. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's not a throwaway line. I don't think so at all. I think it's something that will come up later at some point. Maybe they'll revisit it, but it's got I me thinking.
0: Think- I will think say that I think it's very likely that Kalia does not smell bad because A, she was very freshly dead, and B, she was raised by a very specific mm-hmm. method that, that has created in her a different kind of undead, where the the holy light is probably boiling away inside her all the time. And if she smells like anything, she you know, she might smell like ashes. But I mean, until someone comes along and clarifies this I never thought I'd be talking about what, what do various undead figures smell like. Uh, it's not, not a <laughs> discussion I thought I'd be having today. Um, that's the thing. is I'm not saying it's not an interesting thing. I'm saying it's it's not something I have an answer to. You know, I can't just sit yeah. back and tell you, like, you know, why does Nathanos do this? And, you know, every time I start to think about, you know, his lack of smell puts people off, it's like, Quite frankly, I'm amazed that they have time to be put off by his lack of smell because everything else about him is so incredibly off-putting that it'd already be pretty freaking irritated to have to spend any time in his company. So the fact that he doesn't smell bad would not be the, the primary thing when you were dealing with a guy who is literally notoriously a jack. Yeah, but you, it, you know?
1: it, I guess the question for me is like it's – he, while he is definitely always, always loving putting something off, it, I think it, it it would be an interesting insight to his character where if it's something that he needs to do to further his uh, his queen's agenda, he'll do it, right? And if that's something that she told him. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was where it's I'm
0: sorry, but now you're making me you're, you're telling me that his undead girlfriend told him that he didn't smell bad the living, the living, the living,
1: the living, the living do expect you to be a certain way. And if it's not there, they, we won't get what we want out of them. I can 100 percent see her saying that I can. 100%. I'm sorry, man.
0: See- this is just coming off to me like his girlfriend totally pulled something out of her butt to get him to start wearing something she liked to smell. I mean, it could I don't be the know entire- if she even does smell. I mean I could insert my really awful joke well about
1: it... his cologne here.
0: Yeah, uh, go ahead <laughs> I guess.
1: This is the whole reason they burned down Till so you could have wood smoke. And I'll with this in
0: the show with you. I'll talk to you later.
1: <laughs> uh, sorry folks, sorry. But it, it again, it's interesting to see that that sort of interplay. Uh, our next question actually does also come from Titsemi. Uh It was brought up in another Discord. Did the whole of killing the Highborn and almost murdering Jared and Wolfhart ever get addressed? And I missed it because she kind of went full serial killer for a bit there, but then was just out and about in Legion. Best I could find is in uh, there's a an excerpt from her uh essentially Wikipedia entry where it states her own brother Jared wants to believe that this is not the result of madness on Maeve's part, but due
0: to outside
1: corruption. But
0: just curious about your thoughts. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if you didn't do this quest or what. Um, there's a quest and I don't know if we we'll would even get it. Um, I'll be upfront. I don't know if we'd we'll get this quest or not. I've never done the zone as horde, um, but there's a, there's a town of Gilneans that's yeah. just there in the broken isles. Uh, it's right there in in a I'm not I want to say Azuna, but I think it's actually in the, the zone to the north of it, the 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 Dream Zone. Valshara. Valshara, yeah, it's in Valshara, and it's it's just like you know some some Gilneans who were fleeing Gilneas during the Cataclysm ended up washed up there, and they just built a little town. And they send you, they're Best like grandmother you know. Best ever, by the way. They're like the Night Elves are attack, you know, those Night Elves are attacking us, and they they're mad at Jared. when Jared shows up, and they they hold him at gunpoint until you go and prove that the Night who are attacking them are actually ghosts. And you, they're like, oh, okay, if it's ghosts, that's not your fault. You know, ghosts, of course. And so you and Jared go up to uh, Ravencrest Manor, the, the, the former home of, of Lord Ravencrest, Cortalis Ravencrest, who Jared, of course, fought beside during the, uh, the invasion of the Legion 10,000 years ago. His ghost and a whole bunch of other ghosts are all up in arms saying that the Legion has returned, except that they don't recognize anybody as not being in the Legion. Like, anybody they see, they think it's the Legion, so they attack. Um, so you go in there, and as you're fighting your way around the place, you find that Maev is there. And she and Jared have a reunion. By the way, uh, Maiev out of her armor is really interesting to see. i I recommend you go do it because up until that point we'd never seen Maya out of her armor so seeing this normal night elf woman was a shock man i was like oh my god she's just a night elf like of course she's just a night elf why wouldn't she just be a night elf yeah okay but it was a shock the first time uh she then reveals that you know she she's been she went after after the attack of the of the Legion on the vault of the wardens, she went after them and tried to kill Gul'dan. And that ended up, she ended up being captured and, and held there. And there's like a, there's a line where she tries to apologize to Jared for what she did. And he just kind of brushes it off saying, you know, it's fine. You know, I, I I'm glad that you're okay. And that is basically all we get. Yeah. As to the entirety of Wolfheart. Basically, after she tried to murder not just the Highborn, not just a whole bunch of other people, but Malfurion himself, she just took her... She just walked off to the Vault of the Wardens on the Broken Shore, where the Wardens have been for, like, eons. And the Wardens apparently did not care that she had done this. Like, they straight up were like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're still our leader. So... If Ma- if Malfurion had ever pushed it with the Wardens, they were going to back her. It's just the- things happened so it didn't come about. Like the Legion attacks, so everyone's like, oh, okay, never mind. And so, until you go to battle for Azeroth, and Maiev tries to bring it up with Taranda, that's the only time it's ever mentioned. And then... When she brings it up with Taranda Teranda's also like, yeah, whatever. we you know the forsaken burned down our tree. We got other things to worry about. So basically, Mayaf has attempted to broach this subject twice, and both times people are like, yeah, whatever. Other stuff is happening.
1: Yeah, and this so is. Truth- I was gonna say this is if you're a horde, you do get to see m- most of this. Like, it's not. It's not like it's a mist or, or anything like that. Uh, although, if you didn't do the Ravencrest stuff, yeah, I could see where you didn't. Uh, you didn't see that. Yeah, I just
0: I straight up don't know if it's available to Horde players. is. I've never done that zone as well. Yeah, I, I can
1: tell you that it is. It's one of the. It's yeah. one of the things you do regardless of your faction. Um, yeah, I just
0: I had really no way of knowing because I like I said I didn't try. But yeah, like when when you see, like, I know Horde wouldn't get to see the part where Taranda is is talking to Maiev because that's taking place on the Alliance intro to the Warfront. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the Horde intro is different. Yeah. Like if, if the Horde go and help Taranda what? <laughs> that's kind of weird, but you know, but yeah, basically Maiev has attempted twice now to at least bring the subject up. And and it's kind of like, oh, well, I did that stuff, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you murdered a bunch of people. They were just mages anyway. Like, seriously, no one seems to be taking this seriously that she tried to she tried to kill her own brother. But and he's just, I guess he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you were under a lot of stress, it's fine. Like, seriously, I, uh, yeah. nobody seems all that put out. I, I,
1: I don't know though, like, if this is another case of them just completely getting rid of it for the sake of everything else that's going on, or if it is legitimately uh this is we and I talk about this a lot where everything that's been happening for the last several expansions has been one tragedy followed by another tragedy, followed by another tragedy, where we haven't had hardly any breathing room whatsoever and I think, especially over the course of the last two expansions, Night Elves have definitely been in that hot seat for that. So, is this a case of, they legitimately have not been considering this because they don't have time to really consider it? There's always something more pressing, something else It's like, yes, you killed a bunch of mages, we'll deal with that later, I don't have time right this second, the Legion's coming down from the sky, or, yes, I don't have time to deal with this right now, our home was burnt to the ground, and I have vengeance to go seek it's is it is it a matter of priority thing where the handful of lives that and I, and I don't remember the exact total but the handful of lives that may have tried to took take uh or succeeded in or or even the, the you know fratricide is is that something that is just not on a scale of worry to everything else that's going on
0: so. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not surprised that people are like, you know, we we have this army of demons trying to destroy the world. And I mean, one of the funniest things to me, the, the one of the problems here is Mayev was going to have a bigger role in Legion than she ended up with. Yeah. And that's this is just what happens sometimes. The the voice actress for Mayev, who's amazing and I wish I could remember her name right now because she's one of my favorites. Uh, she did the voice intro to the original world of warcraft you remember the four years have passed that was her she did that um she suffered a throat injury while they were making legion so she her, so she couldn't come back in to record lines after a certain point so she doesn't there's no Maya of an argus you don't get to see her you know and that's entirely because of that injury that she suffered um it took months for her to heal. That's that's not on her, and it's not on them. It's just, you know, a bad thing that happened. But as a result, Maev's story didn't really get to finish. Which, I mean, on the other hand, at least we got to see more of her in Battle for Azeroth, and that's cool. I like seeing more of Maev. But, yeah, it's one of those situations where we don't know what they would have done had they been able to do what they wanted to do. You know, we, we, You know, it's possible that they might have dealt with it. It's possible they might have, like, you know, had that be something that she was confronted with. We don't know, because that happened. But, yeah, Maiev, there's a lot to Maiev, and especially right now, with the Syrah Warden stuff in, in Battle for Azeroth and Maiev's reaction to it. Maiev has a lot of, of... Maiev has been forced into a really interesting position, character-wise, where she has to be the responsible one. Mm-hmm. And Maev has been the hothead who jumps out, you know, who jumps to her own drum and does what she wants her entire life. Ever since she didn't end up as High Priest, because keep in mind, when Toronto became High Priestess back during the War of the Ancients, she was not even remotely in the line of succession. Like the the the, cur- the previous High Priest Deja had, basically everyone thought Maev would be taking the job. That she was her, she was the the next in line, and then the, the goddess directly chose Taronda instead, which has to kind of suck. You're you know you you've given your entire life to this priestess, to, to this priesthood, to this goddess, and the goddess just goes no, she'd be better than you. This this neophyte who literally just showed up, she picked her over you, and that's been Maya ever since. Her life is basically then trying to find some other meaning. And like when Illidan tried to kill her brother, that's the whole reason Illidan got locked up 10,000 years ago because he attempted to kill her brother whilst he was, you know, trying to preserve arcane magic with the new well of eternity he was creating. And that's why, you know, they locked up Illidan for 10,000 years because he did that. And so they put her in charge of, of guarding the jail of the guy who tried to kill her brother. And for 10,000 years, that was her job. Like, you know, she did other stuff. The, the Vault of the wardens was also being run. There were plenty of other things getting imprisoned. Like, the, the barrow den that Illidan was kept in was not the only place that the wardens were working, but she had this, like, this task basically thrust upon her that she never expected to have. And now, all of a sudden, after 10,000 years of being this warden, of being this figure that did what she did and and didn't really care to the point where she actually even tried to kill several, like, you know, night elves who were using arcane magic and did kill several highborn. Um, now she's trying to kind of rein in Taranda, who is the one who has like, you know, done the night warrior ritual, which is certain death. And you'll notice when she did that, it was Maiev who immediately knew what it was. Yep. Maiev was the one who was like, Oh God, I said the word serious. Ah, Hi have come on. Ah, sorry, guys. But yes, in in all sincerity, that is, Maya's a fascinating character, and I do hope they do more with it. But right now, they have not. They have and, not done anything with it.
1: And we're we at an interesting point where there's an opportunity for them to do that, especially with everything that's going on, potentially in Shadowlands, especially with us knowing... At least tangentially, and this is not really spoiler, but with faction leaders going into uh, that particular realm of existence, there's an opportunity for others to sort of have their—I don't want to say their time in the in the spotlight—but it's a great opportunity, especially for for her to have the focus shifted back on her long enough to maybe resolve some of these old conflicts, especially in the position she's in. And it's very interesting to see how she's this calming, uh, more reasonable factor now versus how she used to be. And her character is, like you said, is very fascinating it has definitely grown quite a bit. Uh, so I think it would be really cool maybe if they've spent a little time dealing with that, with everything else that's going on, because one of the themes... Uh, that i've just started to notice at least is that there's a lot of of self-reflection stuff going on in shadowlands and it seems like a really dang good opportunity uh, to do that with her character to have her come to sort of an inclusion or resolution with some of these items so hopefully they'll do something with her i think she is a wonderful character that deserves much much more time uh, let's see. Our next one might have some potential spoilers, so consider that you have been warned from here on out, folks. Uh, this is from Easy Target, who is working for Bombsomdi for a while. Only 989,495 to go. Uh, hello, folks. I'll get right to it. Uh, impressive for me or uh, yeah, impressive for me, is or has Bomsamdi been diverting souls from the mall while questing Horde side, we get tasked to send a million souls to the bee man, and the look of pleasant surprise when Rastahan proposes binding his bloodline. He has the ability to call spirits of the fallen, and according to the early July Lorewatch interview, you mentioned that he may actually care about people well, trolls at least uh we pretty much have confirmation of that. we've talked about that a bit where he has been diverting souls from the Maw to his own little section uh, of the Little Shadowlands, the other side, which is apparently inside of Ardenweld, which was interesting for me to notice. Um, but yeah, no, he's been, he's been trying to protect people from that fate since it started happening. He's always ushered his followers to his own little thing, his own little pocket dimension, but yeah, he's he's definitely been trying very hard recently to protect those. He says as much in Shadows Rising, right? Like it's maybe not explicitly, but like he, it's he is diverting souls. He is plucking them before they have a chance to cross over uh, and go to wherever they would normally go. In this case, you know, since everything's broken, them all. So, anything else to add to that?
0: No, that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, one here I accidentally, accidentally snaked that is not lore-related, so we will leave that, leave that one for Tuesday. Uh, this next one comes from Refi. Question for Lorewatch. Zelateth says in one of her remarks, the Torin here are remarkably resilient to corruption, considering their origins. So what do you think she's talking about, particularly their origins?
0: Well, we know that the Torin were actually not, they were created to a degree by the Mogu. There was a species similar to them but less violent and aggressive that was u- the Mogu used their flesh shaping on to create uh, the the ta- the, the, the Yongol. And the Yongol are basically ancestral to all Torrin people. Um, if you're a Torrin on, on Azeroth, you are descended from original ancestral Yongol who were altered by the mogu and turned into what they are now. We don't know exactly what they were like before. Um, they were less violent, we know that much, and they were less physically imposing. Uh, however, there's, there's a, a myth that the Torin have about how they were created by the Earth Mother, which might refer to their original state of existence. Um, one thing we know is that a lot of the, for lack of a better word, animal races of Azeroth, like the furbolg the, the for example, mm-hmm. uh, are related to various ancients. Uh, it's hard to say exactly how, like I, if they're descended from them or if they were created by them or what have you. But there's a direct relationship um, between, you know, the, the the two bearer Ancients, Ursoc and Ursol, and, and the Firbolg. Uh, and that's just one of several that have that kind of relation. We don't really know exactly, like, you know... We know that the Torin spread throughout, like the ancestors of the Torin spread throughout Azeroth, and that's why you have Tonka up north. That's why you have the Shuhalo, who are the Torin, uh, where they are in Kalimdor. That's why you have the the Yangol on Pandaria. Um, it's actually interesting that there's only one continent of the r- various continents that we know of on Azeroth. There's only one continent that doesn't have any Tauren or or like peoples, and that's the Eastern Kingdoms. Uh, we don't know why that is either, but the the myth that the Torn have is that you know there was they the they were created by the Earth Mother, and then a bunch of them dug something up and it corrupted them, and the the Earth Mother wept that they were corrupted and couldn't be they couldn't be reached, and we don't really know what that myth is referring to. Uh, it's it's one of those Torn myths that's very hard to to grok as such. It doesn't have any specific times or dates in it or anything. But it's possible that the corrupted ones, they're talking about are the ones that were created by the, the, the Mogu using the, the their mastery of, of anima magic to alter them. But that's all we really know about the Torn. We don't know a ton about their exact origins.
1: We do know that there is a tie between them. They're at least their original people or whatever became the Yangal. I think they're often referred to just as Yangal even still uh there was a tie with them not just with the earth mother but also with scenarius uh which is rather intriguing it explains at least some of their inclination towards you know nature earth reverence and things like that uh, because you
0: know also that's that's why the um high mountain have antlers yes it's not because they are moose people it's because they're they're it's a gift from scenarius
1: yeah. And so they've always been really, really tightly tied to scenarios, uh, at least in that regard. Uh, so seeing where the, the that corruption sort of fell off, like happened or whatever, we don't know. We just know that there might actually be some genuine, honest truth to that myth. And with that statement from Zalatath... There, that might be it that might be what Zaltath is referring to is that particular myth which is if they fell to that corruption why are they so resilient now is there something in whatever they dug up that forced them to be altered in such a way that they just became naturally resilient to it is it something that maybe necessarily the Mogu helped part of, like, well I mean you know
0: if you want to look at it that way the Mogu use titan ability used basically a titan technology in much the same way that titan technology was used to create rathion exactly so perhaps that's what happened when they were quote-unquote transformed by the uh by the mogu
1: yeah and that's and that's definitely something to consider um so i i think that's a good case or candidate for what zalatath is referring to but we'll see. Anything else to add to that one?
0: I uh, Just that, you know, we we know that the Yangal roamed across the whole center of Kalendor back in the day, back before the planet got split open. Yeah. And, you know, the the Yangal were basically enslaved by the Mogu and twisted by them, but we don't, like I said, we don't know what that means exactly. Like, we, we know that when the Yangal, I mean, when the Mogu got their hands on trogs, they made the Grummels. Mm-hmm. And the Grummels and Trogs are very different. We don't have any ex- any example of what the primordial Yongal were like. You know, we know that, like, we've got Tonka, we've got Shuhalo, and we've got Torin, And we know that what Holn High Mountain looked like. You know, we know that Holn was pretty close to a Shuhalo, and, he, you know, his people are Shuhalo today. Um,. When he when he was leading them ten thousand years ago, but that was like many many thousands of years after all that stuff had happened to them. So it's it's very difficult to actually nail down what 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 she's talking about when she says their origins. I, I do I do think Joe's on this right track that it might have something to do with that Sorrows of the Earth Mother myth. Um, I wanted to actually look it up to make sure I was giving it to you proper. So I you know because yeah I'm trying to remember it. It's it's hard to do sometimes, but. Here's the Sorrows of the Earth Mother myth. Um, As the children of the Earth roamed the fields of dawn, they heartened to dark whispers from deep beneath the world. The whispers told the children of the, of the arts of war and deceit. Many of the Shuhalo fell under the shadow's sway and embraced the way of malice and wickedness. They turned upon the pure brethren and left their innocence to drift upon the plains." The Earth Mother, her heart heavy with her children's plight, could not bear to, wit- to watch their fall from grace. In her grief, she tore out her eyes and sent them spinning across the endless starry skies. Anshay and Musha, seeking to ease the other's sorrow, could only chase each other a faint glow across the sky. The twins still chased one another with every turning of the world. Though sightless, the Earth Mother could not long stray from the world after her- of her heart. She kept her ear to the winds and listened to all that transpired across the fields of the dawn. Her great heart was always with her children, and her loving wisdom never fled from them. And that's the whole myth. That's that's it. So that's all we it, know about that myth. We don't know exactly what the whispers from deep below the world are. Clearly it sounds like the old gods, but yeah, that's that's what it, we got for that myth.
1: It almost like that myth in the context of that, it almost sounds like the moment before they started roaming away from the middle of Kalimdor, before they they moved on to to the other areas, like they were leaving home, and that was the moment that that brought their despair, which is entirely possible
0: do you want the other thing is the whispers from deep below the earth could also be the mogu, yeah, because a the mogu were like were buried for long periods of time,
1: and the um, they, facilities they, they used were always in the ground,
0: yeah. And they're the ones that actually made the Yangol into warriors. They enslaved them and turned them into like fighting forces. They were basically creating like living weapons to use against the uh, Mantid. So, it could be that. I, I don't know. Honestly, it's, it's one of those situations where we, we, we don't have a ton of details here. But it is interesting to look at that and think about that in relation to what Zalatath said about it being surprising that they're so resilient. Uh, if they were originally... It might actually be a situation where, like, you know, they're resilient entirely because at one time they fell to corruption. And now it's something that they've experienced and come out the other side on. I don't know.
1: Our next question comes from our good friend, Autoluke. A question for Watch slash Blizzardwatch. Haha, ha, I've stolen it before Matt could get it. Uh, about Eleneth. We know that the staff has trapped inside an arcane entity from another plane of existence. We also know it has personality, aspirations, and intelligence. At the end of Legion, we channeled a huge amount of fell energy into the staff. What repercussions do you guys think we'll face for it, if any? I mean, that is a very good question, but it's... Ultimately, it's what is the entity inside of it, and is its it... Is it arcane made manifest which we've seen multiple times can have intellect like we see it when we're going through like the nexus we see it when we're going through uh, anywhere where there's a high concentration of arcane energy it can coalesce into a form that has intelligence it has presence right is channeling that much fell energy into it uh, really the problem or is it really fell energy that got channeled into it because that's the other thing and, and, and Matt can keep me honest on this one I don't know if it was ever explicitly said that pulling the energy out of the Sword of Sargeras was actually Fel energy. Don't forget, he was a Titan. We don't know the true essence of whatever he did, so it might not have been Fel. It didn't look like Fel. It looked like fiery essence when it was getting pulled out of the sword and into our stuff. It didn't have that green tint. It didn't have that same corrupted hue that everything else that we've dealt with the Legion did. So it could just be overwhelmed. It could be. It could be fell corrupted. I don't really know. What do I you? mean, we you can think?
0: look at we, we can look at what we know about one artifact that got exposed to whatever the energy was in Sargeras' sword. And I all freely admit right now I don't know what the energy from the sword was. I mean, I would have assumed it was fell because Sargeras went on a like cuckoo for cocoa Puffs rampage and sucking up the fell. That was his thing. But it's possible it wasn't um i don't know so yeah that's that's an interesting note to that question uh but zalatath clearly didn't enjoy the experience and felt abandoned uh for, which zalatath had abandoned every wielder it ever had up till that point so when it felt abandoned that's kind of like ironic right there it's like are you i used you you don't get to use me you no know, sort of moment. Uh, in terms of Alaneth, Alaneth was not as sinister as Alatath, obviously, because like as you pointed out, it was just some kind of arcane energy from another plane of existence. But that's like interesting to think about because that seems to be what Titans are. Yeah, Titans are arcane entities from another plane of existence. They're pure arcane power flung into our reality. Worlds form around them to to shield them, like like pearls. Um forming around arrogance or like an eggshell around an egg. And I mean, imagine we've got this arcane entity. That's not, you know, it did not seem to be Titan level. It did not seem to be like as big and powerful as a world soul, but we just drained the power from an actual Titan into it. What does that mean for Alaneth? I don't know the, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, could, could we have repercussions? Absolutely. Uh, I think it would be hilarious if Aluneth pulled a Zalatath and actually incarnated itself physically in our universe. What would it be if it did that? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that question, but it is an interesting thing to consider. We, One of the things we know is going to happen in Shadowlands is there's going to be like a history to the Warcraft universe that we've never seen before. Um, not just the, the Pantheon of Death, who are kind of like the, the, the Shadowlands version of the Titans, but the First Ones, who we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And we might start getting some answers as to exactly what Titans are and how they get made. Like, who makes them? If the First Ones are somehow responsible for that, how do they do it? What are the First Ones? What are they the First Ones of you know, there's a lot to think about here. Um, I definitely think that's going to come up when we talk about a loon in the future. I, 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 I'm right now. I'm gambling on a loon being a first one.
1: That is yeah, my current. Story. I, I'm, I'm definitely on that train as well. I think a loon definitely qualifies as a first one.
0: And I think we're going to meet some others, or at least know that they existed.
1: Now. Um, I was going to say, the other thing that could be a consideration for Alaneth as well is we don't know what happens to First Ones when they die, because we know literally nothing about them yet at all, uh, or if they can die, or what happens to them, we're going to find out at some point through Shadowlands, but... The other thing is, we know it's an arcane presence from another dimension. What if it's the leftover bits of an arcane um, um, one of these entities? We know that titans are able to do that, or were able to do that, where they could take their consciousness and slam it into a construct. They, I mean, that was uh, there was an entire series of events around that that drove many of their their watchers crazy, right? Uh, And how many chains? weird chain of events as a result of that. It's also entirely possible that Aluneth was maybe a fraction of that or a fragment of something that existed elsewhere, and that's why it has such a strong personality and aspirations and intelligence, but none of the malice of Zalatath because of whatever entity it was born from. Because that's the other thing, like, Zalatath was a shard of an uh, of
0: presence, right? Like You don't know for sure if it was actually a piece of a previous old god, or if it was actually a different old god just you know, stuck in a knife or what? We don't know what it was, but we know that it it's seems fair. to be. It seems to be at least a powerful minion of the old gods, um, at least at the level of a, like a Chitauraxi or what have you. Alaneth, we know even less about.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say, so we don't know. It could there could be some weird, horrible ramifications uh, in the future. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I'm sure it'll come to bite us in the butt if it is because that's what always always happens
0: (laughs) yeah I mean you know ultimately it doesn't really matter right now like we've got other stuff going on but it absolutely could come back later Um, we've already seen Zalatath come back and we've had repercussions from what Zalatath did and there's like after Alaneth there's the warlock head Thrakiel I think his name is Mm-hmm. Who had the personality of an ancient eredar in it? So that could, that we we drain Sargeras' power into an actual demon. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with that? You know, there's there's lots of possibilities here.
1: Well, our next question is from Dirges of Silvermoon. Uh, good evening, lore masters. Matt said something last week about the jailer wanting to come to Azeroth, and it made me think: Do dead titans provide the Shadowlands with anima? If they do, there's one with a giant tap over in Silithus that's just waiting to be twisted. Thanks for being the Digital Chronicle for us all.
0: Well, I mean, she ain't dead.
1: Yeah, she's not dead yet.
0: But also, we don't even know if dead Titans go to the Shadowlands or if they can. Like, the one time we know for sure a Titan died wasn't even a Titan, it was a world soul. Mm Mm-hmm. A, a nascent, not-yet-born world soul was killed by Sargeras. We don't know what happened to it. We don't know if, if it you know, went anywhere. We have no idea. Um, when when the other titans physically died, they managed to use a magic to save their souls and throw those, as Joe just pointed out, into other bodies, which weren't at all ready for them. Um, and then somehow they ended up getting correct, collected and taken to Antorus. Uh, possibly that's what... Sargeras was actually doing in Northrend when he was there and the, the Avatar Sargeras thing happened his actual goal might have been to get the titan souls and he just didn't get Ionar's because she wasn't there Like the Ionar took off and went to a Lunaria with the world named after a loon that we don't know anything about what the heck why is it named a Lunaria but you know regardless since we don't know what happens when titans die or if they actually die as such um it's very hard to answer your question. Uh, did it's entirely possible that they do that? I don't know. Um, until such time as we get a definitive answer on what happens when Titans die, that one's kind of in the maybe category. Uh, but is, in terms of the, the quote-unquote giant tap over in Silithus, uh, don't don't count Azeroth out just yet. Uh, she's not dead. She would certainly didn't enjoy the stabbing but i honestly do find myself wondering if sargaris was even trying to kill her yeah i mean there's that whole thing about the poison in the sword that 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 we drew out which might have been fell and might not have been but again if he was really trying to actually kill her
1: he could have he
0: could have cleaved her in too he had opportunity he could have cut the planet in half. He had, he did this before. Like yep. this is a thing he did before. He blew up a planet, and he was standing there for quite a while. He didn't look like he was trying to kill. He didn't even pull the sword out until they started pulling him to the Pantheon.
1: Yeah, and and if you and if you're, if, I know some people are gonna will question that and like, well, well, no. Look at during that encounter when you can see Azeroth when you're fighting Argus. If you look up, you can see the planet. It's wrapped in the misty form, like it's enveloping the planet. It's not like he's looming over it. It's not like he like we've had descriptions of in the past where he's sitting there in warrior mode with a sword ready to cleave it in twain. No, he's doing something that we still don't know what his goal was. We we've we've made guesses over the years. We've we've had different posits as as far as like what it was he was doing. Uh, I once, at one point I posited that maybe he was just lonely and because of his family was dead. Well, that's actually that,
0: mentioned. One of the warlock artifacts straight up says that he is in love with the planet.
1: Yeah. Which but makes it's, sense.
0: It's like a dark, obsessive, twisted love that he did, you know, because he's alone. That's the same reason he wants to get the Pantheon back. You'll notice he didn't, he's not trying to kill them. He's trying to warp them to his viewpoint. He wants to convince them he's right. Yeah. He wants his family back. That's why, you know, he, he got his best friend, he actually worked on him first and got him. He got him to, to side with him. Uh, he had to torture the guy for like, you know, countless thousands of years. But, you know, he, in his mind, it was worth it. He, he was he was very much attempting to convince them of the rightness of his answer. Sargeras is very similar to Arthas in that way. They're both people who did something really horrible and are then basically trying Ever since, Sargeras is very much attempting to prove to the Pantheon that he was right, that everything he's done was the right thing to do, that it had to be done. And it's actually fascinating to watch, like you know, the the repercussions of that. What he was doing to Azeroth, we we as Joe said, we don't know. We we know that he was there. We know that he was like literally suffusing the planet. Was he attempting to enter it physically? Like, was he trying to put his essence there and join with it? What, what was he? I don't know. Was he attempting to influence Azeroth and then, like, quote-unquote, birth her? Like, you know, but when the Pantheon grabbed him and started pulling him to the seat of the Pantheon, that's when he pulled the sword out. And when he strikes the planet, he's being pulled away. Like, that's, like, was he attempting to, to kill Azeroth? Was he attempting to kill something in Silithus? Was he attempting to literally use the sword to keep himself there? That that's, you know, your answer is as good as mine.
1: Yeah, because we still have no idea. And, like, I often maintain that the placement of the sword was 100% intentional. It's just what that intention was completely is just escaping me, right? Like, we don't know. We have no way of knowing. So, uh, but yeah, we don't know what a dead titan really causes because even now we don't really have a dead titan. We've had a dead world soul, which is, I I don't know necessarily I would consider it the same thing, but we don't know what happens to it. We don't know where they go when they die. We don't know that they go to the Shadowlands. Uh, And we know that sufficiently powerful beings have their own places and their own cycles of where they go to, right? So maybe, but we, we won't know. I suspect that we'll find out more about that as the Shadowlands moves on. Because as you're doing the areas, you learn more about the machine of death and and what the Shadowlands actually are. And I don't have a complete view yet. I don't think Matt has a complete view yet. I don't even know if Blizzard has a complete view yet. Um, They might still be figuring that out as they go along. So Uh, let's see. Our next question. Good morning, Lore Watchers. While drunk one evening, one of my guildies came on Discord having just read about Pelagos. They knew nothing about the character, and going on just the name, speculated that they might be a dragon. This got me thinking. I am unsure if the beta specifies Pelagos' original species. However, the name Pelagos appears to follow the convention of a male blue dragon. Think along the lines of Caligos and Malagos. Given the character is transgender and male presenting, it makes sense to me that they would want to have a male name. Which leads me to my question. Do you think it's possible that Pelagos was originally a blue dragon, and if so, which blue dragon? And do you think it would best fit? I understand that there may there may not be very much lore on this, but personally, I like to think it's Terracosa. Cindergosa also comes to mind, but I don't know enough about her before her undeath to know if she would end up in Bastion. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Sincerely, Alexi on Uh
0: Cindergosa seemed pretty comfortable with being female. Yeah. She was the broodmother of the of the flight. She didn't seem to have any particular difficulty uh, I don't think there's anything in game that would that tells us one way or another if Pelagos is a dragon. Um, and quite frankly, I think the name is basically picked because it's somewhat Greek. Uh, but in terms of, I mean, there's nothing that says Pelagos wasn't a dragon. I don't think it just says that Pelagos was you know, lived as a woman, but always felt that she that they were male. That's that's what it says that he, he is a male and now in, in the Shadowlands can live in the body that has always seemed right to them. Um, I don't I mean I've only done Bastion like four times, so I, Pelagos does not actually take up a lot of it. He's he's there. He is somebody you do stuff with. I haven't done the the actual Bastion Covenant stuff yet. It's quite possible he's more featured there. I don't think there's anything that specifically tells you what world Pelagos is even from. Like, Pelagos might not be from Azeroth. We really just don't know anything about Pelagos. There is certainly nothing about it that would stop Pelagos from being a blue dragon. Like, I don't think they they mention it at all.
1: No, and I mean, and some slight spoilers, I guess, well, I, I'll specify this. I mean, we do know that that dragons do wind up in the Shadowlands. We, we, we have confirmation of that. We know that there is a cycle that surrounds them, and it would be interesting to see what would happen to them, depending on where they go. Like, could we wind up seeing, you know, Deathwing in the Maw? Could we see, you know maybe he regrets what he did maybe there is actual angst and and anxiety there maybe he winds up as a somewhere in
0: revendreth uh, you know venting
1: his sins
0: i will say this i went i went back and looked i'm going to read you exactly what Pelagos says i had a female form in life i don't recall my former name or even my race but i never felt like my physical form represented who i was inside It never felt as clear to me then as it does now. I struggled with that identity for my entire life. So I don't think that we can make any kind of judgment there. Heligos doesn't know where he was from even. Doesn't know who he was. Doesn't know what he was aside from everyone thought he was a woman and the inside was not. He was not a woman. He was a man. That's it. That's all you got. So Pelagos's name since Pelagos doesn't remember his former name or race it's very hard to say that he chose a new dragony name cuz he felt like he should have a dragony name when Pelagos does not know that. Mm-hmm. So is is it possible? Sure. There's there's literally nothing here that tells you what Pelagos was. There's just there's just no information.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it may be something that we find out later on as the story progresses because it seems like Pelagos is, it's a polarizing character. And usually with polarizing characters, we tend to get more story around them or a little more focus as things go on. So it is entirely possible that we will get more story that will flush out some of that, uh, especially as we start to do things like, wake up the Arbiter and start working towards that, because while Pelagos may not remember, there's a very good chance that there's an archive somewhere that marks all the souls that travel through Oribus and where they get sorted out to. Uh, So there may be a record somewhere, there may be an archive, Um, and the only reason I bring this up again is because, um, again, slight spoilers, having now started playing through, Uh, Some of the beta stuff I'm starting to notice where, like, there's references to archives in certain areas. So there might be data about this, or at least the excuse that they could present this data later uh, to flush out the story. Like, they have that opportunity. And that's one of the cool things about Shadowlands in general is because all of this is new and characters that they're introducing, they could tie them to whatever they want. Um, it's also entirely possible that Pelagos is not from Azeroth at all. One of the things that I did notice is that there are NPCs that state that they are from different worlds. Uh, mm,
0: yep. Absolutely. That's said multiple times.
1: Yeah, where they're they're from worlds that no longer exist, where there's some spirits that have chosen to reside in the Shadowlands and take up a permanent role there to help with the cycle because they have no world to return to. Uh, one has noted that it was because the Legion destroyed their home in a raining fire of green uh, hellfire, essentially, from the sky that burned their world to ash. There's nothing for them to return to, but they're not from Azeroth. And so... It's entirely possible that Pelagos isn't a dragon, but also isn't from our anything that we can consider uh, a species or creature that we understand. So that's I will, thing I will to also mind. say
0: this one more thing. At least once during the Bastion storyline, you are helping a Kyrian who is torn and twisted between trying to retain who they used to be in life and ascending further. And halfway through, you find out that that Kyrian was a torn in life. So it's quite possible that Pelagos could be a dragon if Pelagos is even from Azeroth or if there are dragons on that world. Keep in mind that there's no dragons on Draenor, but the, they have words that basically mean dragon. So there are big reptiles there. Who knows? The universe is a vast place. Dragons are created from Azerothian species infused with Titan power. Maybe there's like some similar kind of animal on some other world. I don't know the answer to that question either. Uh,
1: yeah, and it's also something, like I said, we might find out, we might not, uh, but I do like the idea, because we were talking about this before, where the Shadowlands doesn't necessarily have to only be tied to Azeroth, and it could be much more vast and expansive than we have any any sort of idea of, and the idea that Pelagos may not be of Azeroth uh, appeals to me personally, because it's all new. It, it, I like that idea of it being completely new, but again, we'll see. Uh, our last question of the day, uh, hopefully we'll see if we can get through this, and uh, it is Adele of Argent Dawn U. Hi, I've been thinking quite a bit about Dichotomy of Light and Void, and how it's not about good and evil, etc. And there might be an essay brewing up somewhere here, but something else totally caught my attention. So my question for the Lore Watch podcast is, what do they eat? Let me explain. I was leveling my warrior in Stormsong Valley. There are a lot of fields there, and it was, was Talia who said that the area is a bread bucket for Kul So I started to think about farmlands in Azeroth, and all of them seem to be parts of human kingdoms. So do any other races have farmlands? And what do they actually eat? In Suramar, they make wine. Orc culture is all about hunting. Trolls as well. Forsaken don't probably eat at all. But more population can, uh, exactly. Orgamar supports, uh, support if they only eat meat, they hunt. Uh, it can't be sustainable. Isn't city life only possible because of agriculture? So where are the farmlands? Who eats what in what does it all work out? There might be imminent threats to, uh, from old gods and Sylvanas and whatnot, but food is still important. Uh... Yeah, so that's a. We know that question. we know
0: that the orcs do in fact grow food because we go to multiple orc farms to I was have the orc leveling stuff.
1: I was just going to say that. Yeah, there's there's many instances since vanilla, of orcs us going to their farmlands.
0: Now, when you say you know city life is only sustainable because of agriculture, that's kind of true for us in this world that we live on right now. We don't have access to magic.
1: Hmm. Um.
0: Dr- the druids, who you know are h- such a huge part of night elf culture, can basically coax nature into providing food. You see that not just with them. You see that with the Gilneans, when Celestine of the Harvest hasn't been turned to a worgen yet, is using the old faith to promote growth. She's basically bolstering the, the land's ability to provide them with food. And they of course, they, they still had farms. You go to farms in the, the, the worgen starting zone. You see that, that the people of of Gilneas had farms, but they also had nature magic that they could use to a degree. Now, the night elves were much more powerful druidically, and it's quite possible. I I think it's even said in one of the books. Keep in mind, the the RPG books are not canon, but one of the things they point out is that the, the night elves basically live in balance with nature and can get nature to provide them with what they need. Also, they're much more predatory. Than say the 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 blood elves of Silvermoon, who were before that, were the high elves of Silvermoon, who definitely used magical agriculture. Oh yeah, and there's like we the the reason you don't see a ton of farms is because the dead scar goes right through them, but they had farmlands. There's there's actually like a vineyard or two uh, that you even see. There's cultivation there as well. As far as like. I mean, we can sit here and go, like, gnomes probably have hydroponic-type stuff. We well, we know like they do. We
1: I mean, I hate to say it like that, but we know that they do, kind of, because we can see some of that evidence in Nechagon.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see some of it. I'm just saying we don't see a ton of it. Sure. Um, when, you, when you do, like, you know, there's... When you go to Normagon, you get the sense that they had food production down there. It It's... There's places in every race where, like, for instance, you see it with the, the dwarves, especially... The places the dwarves live that are not Ironforge. Mm-hmm. Like when you go to Dunmoreau, you definitely see that they have signs of agriculture and so forth there. Um, it's just differently organized than the way humans do it. Um, the blood elves definitely have a whole ton of agriculture. Forsaken, no, absolutely not. Uh, tr- but dwarves, I mean, orcs definitely farm. Um, the pandaren don't even talk to me. Like how <laughs> much farming do you there, see? There's an too- entire
1: and- zone dedicated to it.
0: Yeah, the, the Pandaren are not messing around on that subject. The Draenei, if you go back, if you go back to, to Draenor, Warlords of Draenor, you can kind of see that Shad, the, the Shadowmoon Valley is absolutely set up for a very interesting kind because they don't. Shadowmoon Valley does not have sunlight mm-hmm. ever. It's never sunny in Shadowmoon Valley, and yet there's clear signs. If you go to then when you leave that zone and you go to Telador... Or, you know, and again, they, they very clearly have places where they grow food. Um, trolls, uh, uh, trolls again, it, it depends on the troll culture. But um, certainly if you go to the Zandalar, the Zandalar very definitely seem to have a very advanced culture. I can't recall ever seeing like an actual Zandalar farm. But it, it could very well be they import everything. Goblins, goblins actually had sophisticated food import to the point where they like, you know, Kajakola was a big industry there. Um, So yeah, I think it's pretty. The Torin are the only ones who don't really have, didn't really have farmland because they were nomadic. You might like the Chuhalo when they when they joined the Horde, they they were a nomadic people. They'd been driven out of the Barrens, which is the Barrens is 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 again. You go to the Barrens and you look at it, and it's every time you go to a place like they've got the crossroads. There's like a dozen farms throughout the Barrens. The Barrens is actually pretty fertile farmland. It's just, Horde farms tend to be small. Like, they're very small, they usually have some animals penned up in them, there's not a lot of crops growing because the places where they're trying to grow are not great for farming. Like, especially in Durotar. Mm Mm-hmm. Dirtar is not a good place to farm. Garash was totally right about that. He's like, you can't just move us here and tell us to just survive. We've got to eat something. Like, that's actually the whole point of Garrosh's initial problem with what Thrall has done, is that Thrall has moved them to a desert and provided them no way to eat. Like, you know, he, he makes that point. You know, we can't just, you know, tell us to just make it work. This place is not suited to this, and you've just moved us here. So... I think it's pretty established that they eat food. They they do not... I mean, that they farm for it, too. They don't just all eat meat. Uh, quite frankly, I mean... This is going to sound like out of left field, but one of the things I used to love was the idea that orcs are naturally herbivorous. Because if you look at orcs' mouths, they don't have giant fangs. They have giant tusks. Mm-hmm. And tusks are generally seen as something that herbivores have not you know predatory animals tend to have really big fangs not really big tusks not really big lower jaw there's saber-toothed cats don't have teeth pointing up they they have teeth pointing down those are the teeth the biting teeth so i i don't that's not the case orcs obviously eat meat and wow, well, but it's always an idea i've really liked the idea of is that maybe they were originally more herbivorous
1: which would also they, make sense, considering that they were di- di- <laughs> created far, far what li- their lineage comes from—a series of creatures that were created to fight essentially plants.
0: Yeah, giant plant monsters. Yep. Yeah, and it, like it contrasts well with trolls, who are clearly predatory and who even eat their own kind, and have giant their giant tusks are actually upper teeth. But then again, so are the ones from like elephants. So it's not a hundred percent here. I mean, there's. There's, there's the, the little there's even a little deer that has saber teeth, it's actually cute as heck and it's got pointy fangs they're they're huge, uh, so you can't draw too much into it. But I just do I think it's generally established. I mean trolls eat things they they you know orc culture isn't all about hunting. I mean the problem with like orc culture isn't really all about anything because there is no single orc culture until after the third war. The the, the the original the clans horde, all, had, the clans all yeah. had
1: different ways of life.
0: Yeah, the clans had their own identities. They lived in different ways in different places. Yeah, like There's frost like,
1: frostwolves didn't necessarily live in an area that where they could farm.
0: No, it was it was cold. Yeah, yeah. It's like and the only real united culture they had was the one that kind of evolved out of the horde, or the one that evolved in Garadar. You know, and and the Maghar that we have now come from an alternate Draenor where a similar process happened where they were all stuck in one place, so their culture kind of melded together. But they kept their unique cultural identity much more so than than our horde did. Um, And that's the... the, So it's very hard to say orc culture is all about anything. Uh, Clearly, they do both. Um, Just as clearly, for instance, for, like, for instance, Varric Sarfang, orc farming did not appeal to him. He didn't like the sound of it because mm-hmm. orc farming is very animal husbandry based. They raise animals and, and you know, use them for meat. So they are clearly a high meat eating people. Um, Surmar they make wine because they're making literally arc wine. The, the arc wine that they're making in Surmar is like, it's literally like liquid mana. Um, they don't, all the things they eat and drink in Surmar until fairly recently, until they, until we raised the Arcanador, nobody in Surmar had eaten anything that wasn't pure magic in, 10,000 years like they weren't eating food anymore in suramar suramar they were just eating magic that's why they didn't just become withered like the the blood elves did when they got cut off from magic what happened to them was so much worse because they were like getting cut off from the very not just the thing they were addicted to but the thing they literally had relied on to survive for 10,000 years you cut people off from the Nightwell, they turn real bad real fast because it's more than just a magical addiction. It's literally everything that sustained their lives for 10,000 years. That's why the Arcanador was so important. Because it basically said, here, now you can eat this, and it will be like actual food, but it will also sustain you in all the ways you're used to. And it cures it cures their, their wasting away. It fixes the Nightfalling. When they eat the fruit of the Arcanador, boom! They're they're themselves again, which is a massive thing, and it's their culture's idea around food is really messed up because they didn't have it for ten thousand years.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the reason you see humans in such a central focus on it, especially in like this game, is because you got to keep in mind too, like unlike a lot of the other races. The vast majority of their, their fighters, their warriors are conscripts from farmers, right? Like, they're not, they're not like the orcs who came here in a, a mainly warrior type race type thing where they were, they came spoiling for a fight. Like, that's what they originally were doing. Or the tauren who they're more foragers as, as opposed to farmers because of their, their previous history. Like, their time in Mulgore, their, their time there is the longest they've been stationary. Ever, they they generally were people that moved around, so they foraged for everything, or, or hunted, or whatever the case was. So farming wasn't part of their culture. Uh, oh, they were gatherers because
0: yeah. that's what you do when you're a nomadic.
1: Yeah, for the night elves, they didn't have to. They they literally asked nature for what they needed because well, that was part of their culture. Uh, let's
0: keep in mind that they were immortal. They were immortal. Yeah, so they literally didn't really... immortal. They didn't die from things like not eating. Yeah. So it's quite possible they did. They only ate when they felt like you know for pleasure, and so they could eat a lot less.
1: But I think because that's not going to affect them. But I think that is what the main distinction boils down to. It's not that these these other factions, these other races, don't eat. It's that you just see it more prevalent with humans because well, humans are consumption machines. Well, uh, plus
0: I mean let's let's also keep in mind that this game originated in an, in an RTS. Oh yeah, and it originated in RTS where. Other races were, like, hero units. Like, you wanted a dwarf or an elf. That was a hero unit for the first two of them. And everybody else was human all the time. Like... And you so still you only pay for really it with saw, a human farm. Yeah, and then, like... I think it's only, like, after... Warcraft, Warcraft 1 and 2 were all, hum, like, humans and, and orcs were the campaigns. So you only really saw humans or orcs farming. Like, they had peons and... and I forget. The humans are called peons, right? Or is it Or the orcs? Uh, Orcs Human,
1: are grunts. Orc, orcs are grunts. Humans. I, I well, no, I thought.
0: No, the other way around. Orcs are peons. Yeah, okay, Orcs are peons.
1: Uh, let's see. I'm gonna look it up right now.
0: But my Sorry. point being that just until Warcraft three, we didn't even see other... peasants. Peasants. Okay. So either way, like, those are those are the units the starting units for those races up until Warcraft three. You didn't even see other, like you didn't get to play as the elves or the undead. You just played as humans or orcs. So it's, there's just more, this is a game reason, but there's also just more established stuff for humans and orcs to be having farms and growing food. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I hope that answers your question. Uh, I don't think there's really much else to add to that unless you can think of anything.
0: I mean, it's me. I could probably talk about it for another twenty minutes, but I think we've covered it.
1: <laughs> but again, if you have questions for the podcast or the queue or the other podcast, uh, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch dot com or hit us up in one of our Discord channels, and uh, we'll we'll grab them as we see fit. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Your continued support means this podcast citing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week.